0: Hello and welcome back to One for Paul, the show where I, a non-pop culturist, get inducted into the world of pop culture by my friends, co-humans, and nemesis. Joining me today was supposed to be my nemesis, Lydia Mufi Barnard, but uh, unfortunately she's been unable to make it for reasons that I will say are unrelated to COVID-19 but are personal to her, so she's fine, nothing's wrong, but she can't make it today. Thinking of you, Mufi, hope you're well. So, just for today, she's given me a homework assignment to watch an episode of a show that keeps being recommended to me, but I've never, I've just never gotten around to watching it. That's right, welcome to Gated Community, the story of a super wealthy enclave desperately trying to keep all the poor people out. But what happens when property prices go down and the poor people suddenly move in next door? I mean Community, a show created by Dan Harmon. Who is currently the writer and showrunner of Rick and Morty, a show that I really like? I don't know why I've never never bothered to watch Community until now. Because I I am a fan of Harmon's work. I listened to Harmontown, his podcast for a couple of years there before it stopped in the end of 2019. And I guess, uh I don't know why I never got around to it. I think it's one of those things where people kept telling me, oh, this is the best thing ever. You're going to love it. You're going to love it. And I, it got so overhyped to me that I felt like, eh, it's I'm just going to be disappointed. So maybe I'll I'll give that one a miss. But here we are now. I You know, uh, I'm looking forward to it. And being that I'm familiar with Harmon's other work, or some of it at least, I'm expecting something pretty meta. You know, maybe it's uh, it's a bit older, so maybe it's sort of similar to his stuff on Channel 101. Maybe I'm expecting clever writing and compelling characters and complete absurdity and uh, also a healthy helping of sincerity, because that's sort of, to me, the hallmarks of a, of a Dan Harmon piece. So fade in to a slow-mo shot of feathers littering what looks like a high school hallway slash battlefield, because we got... Some lovely VO by Keith David, I believe, whose voice is just so wonderful. I I could listen to that man read the phone book. Are phone books still a thing? I don't think phone books are still a thing. If phone books are still a thing, let me know on Twitter, at one for Paul. So the VO is quoting between two groups of people who want to make inconsistent kinds of worlds. I see no remedy but force. That's uh, attributed to – oh, man, I love Keith David's voice so much. I try to do it. But uh, this is a quote from Oliver Wendell Holmes, who was – I looked him up. He was a Supreme Court justice in the U.S., uh, and he had fought previously when he was younger in the Civil War. So I guess – I don't know what the quote is attributed to. I guess he was probably talking about the Civil War. So that's – Maybe that illusion is a little unfortunate in its, if we take it too specifically for this episode, but let's keep going. Uh, we're presented with some still images and a few sweeping shots of a library also covered in feathers with more voiceover this time of a woman recounting the horrors of war. I mean, pillow fights. So <laughs> I think I already get what's, uh, what's about to happen here. It's a parody of those old PBS documentaries about civil wars and stuff. So, I mean, it's got to be. It's like shot for shot the same at this point. I quite like the uh, one of the shots just has uh, a brand of energy drink upside down on IV stands dripping, dripping into people's mouths, which is just so it's so visually clever. I love it. Uh, Also, we're getting a glimpse of some truly epic pillow and blanket forts as we're introduced to our characters. And I'd bet the set designers were just having all kinds of fun with this. We're also introduced to our recurring gag, the terrible photographer, who just also happens to be the only person there taking photos. So that that's the historical record now. <laughs> so the way they put it is she and her borrowed camera would capture some of the war's blurriest and most poorly framed moments. Which... <laughs> Oh, I love this writing so much. I love this writing so much. Oh, already. That attention to detail here. There's slow pans of these photos of people posed in like 19th century painting poses, like their hand inside their jacket, or in this case, a plaid shirt. And including uh, our two main characters, our two main sort of generals in the opposing sides, Troy, the sensitive high school quarterback who became commander-in-chief of his own army. He would later say of the war, It was awesome, but also, it wasn't? (laughs) So, I'm getting... I've never seen this show, right? Uh, I've been dropped into this episode, by the way, uh, because I was told, watch this one first. And I'm kind of glad I did, because the next person we're introduced to is Abed, uh, and his socially, dif- this is uh, Troy's socially dysfunctional best friend turned bitter rival, an uncompromising tactical mastermind feared by all, but unable to pay parking tickets or no left from right without mouthing the Pledge of Allegiance. So I guess these two are friends if in the rest of the show, but here they're fighting for some reason. Calling out a specific visual, the title card is just a little shaky, as if being presented on a poorly aligned projector. And I think the folks making this show understand the substance, but also the detail of what they're parodying, and I love it. So I, I'm at this point, I'm looking forward to seeing more. It's wonderful. So it turns out that the community college is trying to break a world record, and their attempt is being documented by a film crew who I guess is us the viewer. And that's, that's kind of cool framing. I like that. Like, why is, there, why is there even a camera here? Well, there's a film crew wandering around taking footage. That's why they're here to see the story. I, I wonder if that's the rest of the, the series as well, or if it's just a one-off, but I kind of like it. So into the office, where Troy and Abed, former best friends, are attending mediation. Mediator gives them an imaginary friendship hat, which uh, automatically makes them friends again. The former Friends promptly remove these hats in a brilliant bit of physical comedy. They just sort of pretend to take a pretend hat off at the same time. It's wonderful. The fact that they're no longer Friends is kind of shocking, given that they were even on the cover of Friends Weekly, which was an adorable pretend magazine of their own design. Though, uh, point of order, they call it a pretend magazine. I would contend it's a real magazine. They made it. It's a physical object. That's not a pretend thing. The fact that it never gained mainstream traction makes it real but niche, in my opinion, but okay. Seems like they'd started working on an epic pillow fort together called New Fluffy Town, a newer, fluffier town than Old Fluffy Town. But they fell out over an argument about whether or not to use blankets in order to achieve a world record scale, and I guess this argument is... (laughs) I guess this is what they're fighting over? Because one of them wants to get the record, and one of them doesn't care about getting the record, but just wants to make a cool fort. So Troy secedes from uh, forming Blanketsburg, causing Abed to rename New Fluffy Town to Pillow Town for the sake of conceptual symmetry. I guess that's less like they wanted to make a joke about Fluffy Town, and they have like a voiceover guy go like, It was such a good place! And throughout, by the way, there's just so much vo of like it was a good place it was just so fluffy it was wonderful and i love every one of these voice actors especially uh the old dude with the beard and the cloudy eyes who's who's just so wonderful because the 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 thing underneath the the little announcer card that says who this person is as they're speaking just says like a very old student so that's wonderful I am all in favor of people of any age seeking higher education, or any education. I think that's great. So the two now have have their expanding towns, empires, empires? I'm going to go with empires. And unfortunately, as they expand, they collide in the middle, and at one point somebody accidentally throws a stray pillow, and it collides with a support which collides which collapses a large section of Blanketsburg. This section comes complete with, like, a, a graph paper design thing. It's, it's quite something, because, again, it's just so, like, here's a technical drawing and a very good description, a very clear, accurate, technical description of the things that were used. This, this pillow had a pattern on it, and this pattern had a thing going on, and it was thrown at this angle and hit a support, it just the wrong way, to cause a queen-size section to collapse. It's just, I, one of the things that I'm getting at this point is that their kind of parody here is actually quite, they're being quite nice, quite kind in their parody. It's its like friendly banter with somebody who makes uh, this kind of documentary rather than like a mean-spirited, you know, I'm going to take this kind of thing down, right? Anyway, this causes the first battle of the war, the study room kerfuffle. Later called the Study Room Kerfuffle. <laughs> now I've I've watched a bunch of these uh American Civil War documentaries, now I'm thinking about it. Uh and I guess usually they reduce this sort of this sort of thing to a series of battles and troop movements, and I've really always hated that about this style of documentary. It's uh I mean, especially at the beginning, there was that line, that quote from the judge. Saying about, like, well, you know, when people got different ideas about how to proceed, then you're gonna have a fight. I... (sighs) They cleverly, in this episode, generalize quite quickly, because they wanted to evoke that Civil War brother-against-brother feeling, and I think they succeeded that. They also didn't want to call the Civil War absurd, even if they later call all war absurd, because that one was pretty clear, like, no, slavery's bad, and we want to get rid of slavery, and it was right to fight a war to get rid of slavery because slavery is bad. I think that's the general consensus on the American Civil War that it was, it sucked, but it was needed. Anyway, uh, I think they do well to not dwell on this, per- they're not being specific about their takedown of Civil War documentaries. There being, I think, more a parody of all such, uh, war, all such war documentaries, I think that's what it is. So they're sort of doing small specific call-ins from each sub-variety of it. So anyway, uh, this battle turns into the Cassus Belli of the war. Uh, this is the study room kerfuffle. Back to mediation for a little bit. Uh, we can just cut to it. Some conflicts some conflicts are so pointless that they just have to play themselves out. And this is the line where, again, I was like, all right, this is weird if you are talking Civil War. I don't think they are. I think they're saying all wars are kind of dumb. I don't know, maybe they muddied the water conceptually just with that first original quote, even if it is quite on point, because that one was sort of about the inevitability of war if people disagree, but the episode doesn't, isn't really about that. Anyway, so the full name of the of Blanketsburg is the Legit Republic of Blanketsburg, and they deliver an ultimatum to the United Forts of Pillowtown to cede all of its territory to Blanketsburg by midnight, or else. And of course, the dean here saying, do people go to classes? And uh, this happens a couple of times where we're reminded that we are still talking about a pillow fight, Right where this isn't actually war, as much as we're applying the trappings of a war film and a war documentary to this, it's still a pillow fight, guys. And uh, a couple of times, some character will say something to remind us of this, and I love it, right? Suddenly back into documentary graph paper mode now, and these tone shifts are wonderful, because that was just a two-second... Line that reminded us we're still talking about a, a stupid little like community center pillow fight fort thing, right? So, chill out, we're fine. Yeah, I guess I was taking it a bit too seriously when I went, Oh man, war stuff, maybe I should take it seriously, but we're it's a pillow fight, so maybe they're not actually intending all of this sort of civil war imagery and whatever. So, we now have a floating head graph of how allegiances shifted, uh, and the introduction of pillow and fort-based headwear on people demonstrating such allegiances. (laughs) And, uh, after an interview with a veteran of the Korean War from the, uh, from the North Korean army, (laughs) we... We see the, uh, citizens of Blanketsburg? Are we calling them citizens? Anyway, the citizens of Blanketsburg and Pillowtown preparing for midnight when they expect an attack. Again, this pillow fort looks amazing, and I kind of want to build one now. I might build one now. What time is it? I don't have time to build one today. Maybe in the morning. 12.07 a.m. Blanketsburg attacks. The battle lasts six minutes, and no territory changes hands. And as someone announces that the citizens of Blanketsburg should prepare for war, they also say, could you please fix the mic? It's doing that thing again. Okay, so as as a professional sound tech, I can tell you the number of times I've heard this is uncountable. So what's happened here is that you've accidentally turned on the delay effect. What you need to do is turn down whatever aux is feeding the effect or unplug the insert cable, whichever one it happens to be. Uh, If you don't know what that means, I'll, I'll be down in a minute. Just, uh, oh god, what are you doing with that pillow? Just easing. No one has a pillow. It's fine. No one no one is holding a pillow to my throat. That's okay. Unfortunately for war photographer Britta, it, uh, just because something is in black and white, it doesn't make it's good. I think it's a rule for all amateur photographers to follow, especially me. I think I've been guilty of this before, and I'm glad those photos were never on public display because I was, like, 19 and thought I was deep. So the rules of war are established. No hitting to the face or groin hitting to the back of the knees, while technically legal, will be frowned upon. But in the chaos of war, rules can only do so much. And as the Battle of Big Bulletin Board commences, one uh, one man suffers broken glasses, a hurt, fi- uh, hurt finger, and erectile dysfunction somehow. I, he swears this has never happened to him before the battle. It's, uh, you know, maybe just give him 10 minutes. <laughs> so some... And we get some more sweeping shots over the, the quote-unquote battlefield where there's just feathers everywhere and people lying down, some of them just having a little nap, some of them eyes wide open, and some of the most self-indulgent quote-unquote war poetry I've ever heard over footage of people... I. I guess the feathers are blood? I guess feathers are blood in this, right? But it's it just comes off as so ridiculous. It's and also thematically very clever. I love it. But I think also this war poem inclusion is itself super clever. Like the war poetry, real life war poetry from world wars and whatever have you. It's generally pretty dour and self-serious for like it's obvious why. It's about war, right? Except I guess all of the weight of those poems comes from death rather than war, right? It, the, the, like the fact that some factions were having a tiff about who co- gets to collect taxes from whom and what patches of dirt is, is kind of absurd on its face and also quite separate to the human cost of the conflicts, which is what the poetry tends to get written about. So yeah, uh, for all the poetry is concerned, they may as well be fighting over how best to build a pillow fort. Right? It's it's self-evidently absurd that we should care about what these petty people who happen to have guns think. But I guess the war poetry without death is just as absurd as war itself. And you see this is why I love I love this kind of comedy, right? The reason I love this kind of comedy this kind of absurdist craziness is because it does have, it does introduce ideas and has license to introduce ideas in a context that is so absurd that it's like allowed to talk about it in a, in a setting and context where normally you you shouldn't be talking about like, well, what do you mean? You know, our boys aren't the best boys. Come on now when your boys are wielding pillows and their boys are wielding blankets. It's uh. It puts things into a different light, I think. And, and the, the choice of this setting and this theming and this event and the, the fact that it's a pillow fight is just so clever. And I, I love this. It's so good. Anyway, remember the, uh, remember the mediator from before? Uh, his name's Jeff. And, uh, well, he's discovering that if he can keep this war going, well, he might not have to take any tests or do any work for a while. So uh, he starts giving inspiring speeches to uh, both sides, or, uh, you know, the same speech to to each side. It's not like they'll talk, except, of course, the the neutral field medic Annie Edison, who provides humanitarian relief to both sides and is uh, disappointed, to say the least. Also, she knows how to type emoji in, like, 2012, which at the time, I'll remind us all that this was a legitimate superpower. Emoji weren't really a thing until, like, 2014, so... Ahead of the curve there, except I guess she's using an app for it. Anyway, not a big deal. She was able to do it, and uh, that's kind of neat. But uh oh, both sides now have a super weapon and also a squad of preteen commandos. Well, one side has the the super weapon, and on hearing this, the other side hires these preteen commandos, the Chang glorious bastards. See, that's like the the inglorious bastards, like the movie called that, uh, but with Chang instead of ing. The narrator does not get this, and I also don't. I mean, I get it, but... <sighs> like, this is the part where this is a dad joke, kind of, but it's like, the, it's like the larval stage of a dad joke, and turning it back on itself, and having a character be serious about it, that's kind of funny on its own. So that's... I like that. I like it... These are comedians who are making this. They understand how to structure a joke. So they took like a not funny joke and turned it into a funny one by having a character take it far too seriously, right? I love this. Uh <laughs> So we get more of these commentators, the old men commentators. Most of these soldiers hadn't fought with pillows in years. These kids, you know, they they live it, they breathe it. <laughs> They're not wrong. So, you know, a 12-year-old knows way better how to have a pillow fight than a 22-year-old, I think. So one of the nurses said they were making necklaces out of mattress tags. This is when things get as ugly as they can get, while still being a pillow fight. (laughs) So this is another moment of completely undercutting the drama of the thing, because, yeah, we are still talking about a pillow fight in the midst. We are still talking about a, a stupid a stupid childish thing that these people are doing. So, I... <laughs> I think we... Oh, I don't need to say any more about that. It's just, I love it so much, I needed to call out the times they do it. Uh, in order to combat the Changlorious bastards, a man has encased himself in pillow armor. This is uh, now an unstoppably plush juggernaut. <laughs> just, he's, he's gone so far as to, like... Not just cut holes in a pillow for his eyes and mouth, but, like, upholster those into place such that the pillow remains pillow-like and the the stuffing doesn't come out. Like, this guy knows how to use a sewing machine, I guess. Also, the costume department got to make this, and it's just like a a guy (laughs) duct-taped into a bunch of pillows, and it's just so good. It's just so good. I now kind of wish that I'd seen this around 2012 and worn this costume to Halloween sometime, because that just, it looks so fun. We cut to Abed, I guess, uh, writing something down letter-wise, as in like a letter to his soldiers or something, Uh, and he says, quote, The war won't stop with First Blood Part 2. It will escalate to Rambo 3, which should really be called Rambo 2 First Blood Part 3, but the Rambo titles never made sense, and neither does war. Abed Nadir, Facebook status update. Leonard likes this post. <laughs> it just got to Leonard saying he likes it. And not even, like it's the thumbnail of Leonard. It's not actually. It's amazing. I love everything about this. Uh, I should also say the Rambo thing when they uh, earlier on when they had a battle, the first battle, Abed calls that the Troy had had drawn first blood, so it was their job to do first blood part two. I <laughs> I like the way this guy thinks. It's very sequential. I, I dig it. So, Jeff, uh, the mediator from before, should probably write stuff down in a Hello Kitty book in order to appease the nurse lady, because she's upset that he was trying to play both sides and doesn't understand that Abed and Troy's friendship is at stake here. And, uh-oh, Troy... Has intercepted an email from Abed to one of his commanders outlining Troy's weaknesses, including that he'll give up once emotionally broken, which, uh, you know, all told, I won't be hard because he's. There's just a long list of stuff that he's distracted by, including the color red and boobs and, and, you know, the smell of nice food. I think we can all relate. Okay, so I know that this is war and all. I mean, pillow fight. I mean, war. But they've gone nuclear figuratively with each other, even after the super weapons, because Troy then calls out his friend's mental issues and suggests that he'll never have another friend because he's the only one who has the patience to put up with him. Which, oh man, that's so harsh. And word gets to Jeff that they're like actually hurting each other's feelings now, and it's like, okay, no, hang on. This was, like, a bit of silly fun before, but now it needs to stop, because this is... Come on, guys. So they uh, they call a ceasefire so that both sides can watch Ski, Shoot, Sing, a reality show about doing a biathlon and singing contest, which, you know, it's no fun to watch time-shifted. <laughs> so many parody targets, I love this. Uh, <laughs> I also really dislike these strangely-conceived reality shows where, like, watch supposedly famous people do stuff you've never heard of. Check it out. (laughs) Oh, man. This ceasefire allows a little bit of space and time for both sides to come together and talk at secret talks. Uh, The two agree that whoever loses the war has to move out of the apartment. Uh, So I guess I'm learning now that they're flatmates. So uh, I guess that's, that's something I'd learn if I'd watch the rest of it. That's no problem. Uh, Jeff definitely wanted that to go different than how it went. So maybe my favorite section of the whole episode is uh, (laughs) another just lengthy Keith David voiceover section with a map. Uh, I'm just going to quote the whole thing here. The North Cafeteria, named after Admiral William North, is located in the western portion of the East Hall, gateway to the western half of North Hall, which is named not after William North but for its position above South Wall. It is the most contested and confusing battlefield on Greendale's campus, next to the English Memorial Spanish Center, named after English Memorial, a Portuguese sailor who discovered Greendale while looking for a fountain which cured syphilis. I just... <laughs> Guys, whoever wrote this is amazing! I love this! This is just... <laughs> I I guess this tickles me and just the, it's so good. It's so good. I'm, I'm even laughing. Have I couldn't, I enjoy this section. So just after dawn, the end of the war begins again. I love the use of the still images here as if we're looking at, uh, those sort of video pan across of, uh, famous paintings or stuff and, course, we don't have footage from old War, so they'll just find a painting of one of the things that happened in the war and pan across it. So I guess uh, as they continue this fight and the war comes to a head, so the, the dean just uh, whistles a big old whistle blow there and uh, says, hey, so the, the record book guy has been fired, so no one is coming to see whether We broke the record for Largest Pillow Fort, I guess. Is that what they were doing? Largest Pillow Fort? Something like that. It wasn't explained in this episode. Maybe it's in a previous one. That way, war's over, everyone. Everyone go home now. It's all right. Except Troy and Abed, uh, who still want to keep fighting, I guess. Because because this will be the last thing they do together. Aw. So... Jeff intervenes, and uh, suddenly the desire, I guess, to be friends isn't enough anymore because they're grown-ups now, and things are different for some reason. And I, I think, again, I'm missing something here because, like, why are they fighting in the first place? But that's okay. I've been dropped into the middle, and I'm aware of that, and that's not the show's fault. So I guess, I guess it's time for Magical Friendship Hat Ex Machina. So Jeff uh, might have made those hats sarcastically, but that's the way that he is, and he's going to roll his eyes as he puts them on him, but that's the way he is. That's not the way they have to be. Which, if we take it in the broader sense, if I'm getting the the arc right, given that I'm at the end of this arc about being a grown-up and being able to decide for yourself what that means and what kind of life you want to live, yeah, you could be the kind of sarcastic, cynical Person that Jeff is, or you could indulge in whatever it is that you want to indulge in, and be who you want to be, like Abed and like Troy. I guess maybe I'm off base. I ha- this is literally the first episode I've seen of this, but I think I'm grokking a little bit of that that uh, energy from this section. So, so Jeff to finish out the episode puts the magical hats on their he- on their heads. But wait, Jeff. You left the magical hats at the dean's office. Pfft, obviously. They uh, they both nod in agreement. <laughs> so Jeff, to uh, to entertain him, I guess, uh, to, to, to indulge them, I guess, goes uh, outside the door for a little while and then yeah, long enough to make him believe that he'd gone to the dean's office, I guess. And then he comes back in and whatever. And our uh, our bad photographer accidentally gets a great photo of them while trying to photograph a stack of nearby waffles, which I guess uh, I guess they're in the cafeteria, so I'm sure. Yeah, that's that's a thing that could be there. But who leaves a whole stack of waffles? So now uh, Jeff's journal and the CCTV footage from the office reveals that he actually did go back to the dean's office to get the imaginary hats, and one of them was crumpled up, according to him, and one of them was a bit dusty. And he, he brought them back as if they were real objects, which, again, they're imaginary objects, but, you know, he played along with it, even though, like, there was no one else in the office, it was just him. And a wonderful line to sort of round out the episode a bit, he says, because I settled on a truth today that's always going to be true, I would do anything for my friends, which is, I think, how everyone in the world feels, which finally makes me understand war. And he's so convinced of his genius that he tears out the page and gives it to the documentary crew uh, and offers to do the voiceover for his own voice in the documentary. Remember how we're the documentary crew in this framing mechanism? Because I'd forgotten and it was kind of funny. And uh, is this, again, I wonder if it's a running thing and whether it gets old at all. But either way, I'm quite, this is hilarious. This episode, I think, has convinced me to watch the rest of the show. I think from now I'm going to start from episode one and keep going through. I had no idea what I was missing. All of the people saying, oh my God, Paul, it's such exactly your thing. They were right. They were absolutely right. And I'm like, I'm weirded out at Past Me for being reluctant to watch this show because I think... I think this came out at a time when other shows like The Big Bang Theory were coming out, and I so disliked The Big Bang Theory. I so I, I hated everything about it. I hated that uh, being like me is the punchline in that show. That they would just laugh at Sheldon for being Sheldon, and I, I found it mean spirited in that way. That I find typical American sitcoms are very mean about their characters about the characters being mean to one another about about being mean to themselves but i didn't get that from this show i think the the show writers genuinely like all of the characters who they're writing i think that the characters themselves like each other and it's this episode at least was an episode about how difficult friendships can be and how conflict and how conflict can separate us and how I just it's it feels like it feels like a warm fluffy town is what it feels like. I feel like the show understands being like me and I'd like to see more of that. I'm gonna start from series one and I'm gonna work my way through and uh you know maybe I'll record some of it, maybe I won't. But I think uh I think this has sold me, I'm in. This is uh this is a good show. And if you haven't seen the rest of it, I, I also look forward to hearing from you. On what kind of uh, on what your impressions are. As always, you can send me a tweet at one for Paul on Twitter. And uh, I, I'm sorry about the new thing, guys. I'm I'm new to making solo content. I hope it's good. I hope it's good. I think it's good. I hope it's good. But I'm terrified because I'm not used to doing this alone. And uh, thanks for listening, if you're still listening. So as we roll credits, I'm reminded. That the only place you can get quality content like what you just heard right here on One for Paul is right here on One for Paul. Like our review of the worst rated films on popular ratings sites. Or me desperately, desperately trying to understand the appeal of horror movies, helped along by my friends and also other very entertaining people. Now I know you hate these constant pledge drives too, but, it, you know, I would prefer to be home right now, which, you know, ignore the fact that I am in fact home. That's, that's fine. We don't need to pay attention to that. Don't look at the man behind the, the curtain. But if you wanted to help us keep the lights on, help us keep going, without your support, we are literally this close to losing our f- Thank you again for listening to One for Paul. You can find us on social media and keep up to date on what we are doing behind the scenes. We're on Facebook and Twitter at One for Paul. It was just so fluffy.